This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now, it's time to decentralize. Conversation. So good morning, good afternoon, thanks for tuning in. You have landed in TGIF DCT here on Clubhouse. Um, this is a space where we join every week on Fridays at noon Eastern uh, to discuss all things DCT. So we cover a range of topics, many that are brought to us by you. Um, so we're always made better by this community of wonderful people bringing um, case studies, white papers, work they've done in the field, um, evidence, all of the good things into this space to share with our audience. Um, typically, our co-hosts are Jane Miles, Craig Lipset, and Dr. Amir Kalali with the DTRA. Um, but luckily, we have Ange Radcliffe, who has uh, willingly jumped in to uh, be, uh, she's kind of, you're kind of, at this point, our uh, our stand-in coach is great. I'm We're the so <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're a great understudy. So thank you for joining. We've got some travel going on today for our typical host, so we appreciate you stepping in. As we've mentioned, our good friend Jane is uh, in transit at the moment, so we will look forward to kicking off our conversation. Um, if it's your first time in Clubhouse, uh, welcome. Take a look around, see who's in the room. You might find some people of mutual interest that you would love to connect with. Um, you also might be listening on our podcast, so all of these uh, Clubhouse recordings do get turned into podcasts so they can continue on and endure as an everlasting asset that you can listen to later if you are unable to join us live due to a standing conflict on Fridays or just, you know, got other things going on typically during this time slot. So you can look forward to that on your favorite podcast platform as well as linked on the DTRA website. Other than that, we'll start off with a conversation with our good friends Munther and Malik in the room around the great work they've done in data connectivity and interoperability. Um, there are two initiative leaders within DTRA and do great things with us as well as for the entire research community outside of DTRA. We'll allow them to share a bit about the work they've done and just going to pepper them with a few good questions. And at the bottom of the hour, we will open up the room. So if you would like to ask a question, have a comment, we'll invite you at that time to come up on the stage, share a perspective, share a question, and we will promote you to as a speaker so you can do so. Uh, I think I've covered all those good reminders. Um, if there's anything I've missed, we'll get it later uh, in the in the session here. But with that, I'm going to pass it over to you, Ange, to give a quick intro of yourself. And then if you wouldn't mind getting our hosts introduced and kicking us off with some questions. Thanks for joining, everybody. Sure. Thanks so much, Paige. So I'm Angela Radcliffe, uh, most recently 
uh, with Bristol-Myers Squibb uh, leading an innovation function, but I had the joy of leading enterprise data governance. So this is, today is a topic uh, near and dear to me, and I won't waste much time with my own intro. I can't imagine too many of you don't know Munthabara or Malik, but I would love uh, Munther to pass it off to you to introduce yourself, your company, and, uh, and then pass the stage over to Malik. Great, thank you. Um, Munderbara from Editech, uh, that's E-D-E-T-E-K. I know a lot of people always ask me the spelling. Uh, I'm the VP of Product Strategy and Innovation, been with the company for four years. Uh, prior to that, I was with Pfizer, uh, leading a group called New Clinical Paradigm. So I was responsible for innovation and really pushing the envelopes with uh, our industry kind of like to uh, advance to the 21st century or modernize it. And one of the topics that uh, near and dear uh, to my heart is interoperability and connectivity. Hence, that's why we're here today. With that, I'm gonna hand it over to my friend Malik. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm Malik Shah. Uh, I am VP of Digital Health at Advanced Clinical. Uh, I've been with Advanced Clinic for a little over two years. I'm fairly new to the industry, so getting engaged in DTRA and with Munther and others has been a great learning opportunity. I don't come from, I'm not too much of an outsider. Before here, I worked at Baxter Healthcare, worked on uh, medical device development. Uh, so really excited to be here. And, you know, our work with uh, the 4C workstream around data connectivity has been really exciting. And Really excited to kind of share what we have learned and also learn from uh, others around here. Well, thank you both. I'm really excited that you're on because um, I certainly had the benefit of watching a live demo um, at, at the DTRA and CNS Summit meetings. It was great to sort of see what uh, you're up to and what you've accomplished and achieved for our space. But before we get into the details, I'd just love to get us started, you know, give, give folks some background. Like why is interoperability in data even needed? Like what, what was the issue your team was trying to solve? Sure, Malik, I'll start and feel free to jump in. So I think our one, one of the major question and probably impeding uh, to the progress of any clinical trials is the fact that we love in our industry to enter the data manually multiple times. <laughs> so you enroll a patient, you type that data in the e-consent form, you type it in the uh, IRT system, interactive response technology, like for randomization, you type it in the ADC system, you type it in the CTMS system, you type it in the ECOA, in the you know, IoT device, and so you, you end up typing this information about eight to 10 times. As a result, you end up making mistakes and then it creates frustration both at the sites and the sponsors. And in turn, you know, it, it potentially could impact the retention of patients being on, on the study because of the frustration it creates at the site and potentially rather than the site and the investigator focusing on the science, they end up focusing on the discrepancies that they create as a result, uh, basically, of all these discrepancies and data and what have you. That's, that's one issue. The second issue is really why, um, how, we need to make this seamless. You know, when you drive a car, 
you don't basically put the gas in multiple corners, right? You put the gas in one place, you drive the car, it drives. You don't check the engine as, as an end user, right? You're just driving, you don't look in the, under the hook. You enjoy the dashboard, you enjoy the, the, the ride and what have you. And that's what we need to do is to create, automate really the, the, the data exchange and information flow and create a frictionless uh, user experience. Uh, for the end users. I'll stop here. I, I can talk about this forever, but I'll, I'll let uh, my friend Malik gives his, uh, his yes. uh, side. Thank you, Manthar. I think all of us know, right, over the last three to five years, our industry have seen significant innovation. And all this innovation is solving some key challenges that we've been facing as an industry for a long time. However, this innovation, this lot of solutions that are out there creates a challenge in terms of so much data being collected in siloed system, right? So having interoperability truly is critical in realizing the success, realizing the benefits of all the innovation that's happening. So that's that's why interoperability is really needed. Uh, you know, talk about sensor data, talk about bringing the trial to patient and giving them optionality. That That is possible by capturing data in so many new diverse locations with diverse types of data. And without interoperability, it will be very challenging to realize the true benefit of what we truly, uh, you know, went out with this innovation. Well, I love that really what you both touched on is as we've entered into the, the data and digital age, you know, we're past digital transformation now, I hope, is the buzzword. Um, things got really complex. <laughs> things got really, really complex for all of our different stakeholders. And it seems to me you're inviting some simplicity back into the system. And I'm just wondering, you know, sort of, was that part of the aim here? And what do you, what do you think about um, how important simplicity really is as far as us getting out of our own way? It is, it is at the heart of our initiative. Really, bottom line, I think if you look historically, I know a lot of people, when they think of DCT, uh, they think this problem was created with DCT. Uh, this problem with connectivity and interoperability started years, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, right? The fact systems don't talk to each other, complexity, implementation take years, uh, the impact to the site, the impact to the patients. And that, I think the root cause is the fact that a lot of times when we build the studies, it is centered around the sponsor. And the, the paradigm shift that we're trying to introduce here with this framework is really to be patient site and sponsor centered. And in order for that to happen, we need to uh, remove the barriers in front of the different stakeholders in order to be able to use this technology to their advantage rather than a disadvantage. Right. So as a result of that, we want you to be able uh, to consent a patient. And as a result of the consent, that automatically creates the patient in the IRT system, in the EDC system. And it actually not only creates that, but it creates the demographic form, creates the ICD form and the nine yards. And then boom, everything is nicely flowing together. That's the simplicity we're after. How did it happen? You don't have to worry about it. I have more to talk about, but uh, I'll let uh, my friend Malik, if he wants to make more comments, and then we'll go from there. 
No, I think I think you you said it very well, Manta. Right. I mean, ultimately, we all are trying to solve for same problem, right? And we all have clinical trial itself is already complex. So wherever we can simplify the complex, our our mantra, our goal was to kind of do that, right? So by providing a framework that can be leveraged, that's open and available to everybody as a starting point is where our goal was. So we, our goal was not to solve for the whole data connectivity for all the trials, but at least provide a framework, a tool that is simple and easily adaptable, that's flexible to all the trials, uh, all the diverse trials. So that that's keeping that goal in mind. Yes, absolutely. Simplicity was our goal. Uh, and that's what we kept in mind as we were working on this initiative and uh, as we are working on the deliverable as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about the deliverable. You know, you are um, speaking to a, a, an audience um, deeply passionate about the concept of decentralized trials. And, and certainly um, your solution is at the center of that. Can we talk a little bit about how data interoperability really does help with DCT adoption? Because we still are on a steep adoption curve, not as steep as some people think, um, but I'd love to hear your controversial or non-controversial opinions about that and, and how you think interoperability is going to, to get us over that, that hurdle of adoption until this is sort of the way to do things moving forward. Molik, maybe speak about the information flow first, then we'll talk about interoperability if you want. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, as part of our initiative, we started with breaking down into two sub work stream. The first work stream was the focus of the first work stream was around what data needs to flow where, right? So then we kind of build a, designed a framework where we looked at many DCT modalities or DCT systems that are out there uh, not particularly from the individual brand name perspective, but just like ePro, just eConsent, uh, wearable. So we looked at all these different types of data that is typically captured in these type of DCT elements and how that data flows, where the data should flow. So what we ended up is we developed a framework that will be released soon and will be available for everybody to use. And we made it flexible. We realized that not every trial are going to be fully decentralized. There's a hybrid elements. There's going to be uh some nuances with every trial so we made it as flexible as possible where you can start with identifying your dct elements and then also it will once you once you select it with the click of a button it will it will pre-populate the typical connection or the data flow between these systems into existing systems so we kind of develop a a framework a data flow framework that is also configurable if if for some reason your trial has some unique needs and the data needs to flow more than one or two typical systems, you also have an option to do that. So once you do that, then you can you can kind of export it into your own, own you know, data management plan or wherever you're using it. So our goal with the first step was to allow you to start broad with no limitation, do your what if analysis. What if I use variable sensor? What if I don't? What about e-consent? What about by country? What does that data flow look like? So we tried to make it as flexible, as configurable as possible. So that was our phase one. The phase two was more going under the hood. That's where I think I'll give it to Munther to kind of define what do we do once we identified these two systems needs to be connected? How do we make that connection happen in an easy, uh, leveraging existing standards and technology and very cost effective way? So that's where I think Munther and his team went into kind of defining it and that's something I think Angela, you talked about earlier is what we demoed as part of the recent DTRA uh, meeting. 
Yeah, Malik, thank you. Before we move on to you, Manthu, let me just um, mention a question that Jane put in the chat. Um, given her connectivity, I want to make sure I, it might be a great transition uh, between the two of you two. Will this work support a single input to eSource EHR that flows to the clinical data set bypassing eCRF? So I think think about it a little bit of a higher level than that. I think, you know, it will define the data flowing from e, e, uh, EHR into EMR uh, uh, into EDC, but I think we will show our flow but we're not going down to that level with this first version yet. We're just saying that, okay, you know what, this data can potentially, there's a potential data flow connection that needs to be made between your EMR, EHR into, into your EDC leveraging ECRF or others. If that makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. 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 I'll make another comment about this because I think her question, Jane's question is a little bit different, Malik. Um, but I think the key for us here. Uh, when you think about the DCT, uh, what we introduced, we introduced more data connectivity. You know, we have the nursing visits, and I think the horror stories we heard, the nurse will visit the patient, uh, use their system, print a piece of paper, and then fax it. <laughs> and then the site has to re-enter it, right? And then never mind about the fact, do, do we know even uh, about the appropriate visits. Did it take the scheduled visit, I should say? Or what if there is an unscheduled visit? How to deal with it? There's local labs, there's local imaging and the nine yards. So it kind of like, uh, I think uh, when COVID happened, it kind of like added uh, salt to the wounds that already existed, right? And that a problem, it just need to be solved. And so what we try to do um, is basically solve for that problem. Now, how can I simplify this? Think about this. You're flying. You want to basically, you just made a decision. Next week, you want to go on vacation, like the way Jane did, right? So she goes on the web. She finds the flight or the boat or whatever uh, she, the transportation she's using, and she schedules it. Now, when you schedule this, so me as a patient, I'm scheduled to, to come and, and consent for the study. But think about the flight. Um, if it's delayed, I'll get a notification. It was delayed. If it is on time, I get a notification. If the gate changes, I get a notification. If the, time, if the flight is gonna arrive on time, I, I will know about it. All of this happened automatically. And we think this is magic. Really, there is no magic here. And so that's, we took this in mind because that's typically how my end users uh, come to me uh, when I was at Farmers, like why my, my iPhone is more powerful than all these clinical systems that cost me millions of dollars and take years to implement. So we take into consideration the complexity, ease of implementation, and timing. So now when we did the illustration, we basically created a very simplified uh, blueprint or framework which allow you to fire an event, meaning like when something happened, I just consented a patient. It just says, you know, a patient has been consented. And it broadcasts this in a secure channel saying a patient has been consented. And then EDC is listening and the other side, it says, oh, I'm interested in this event. And I do have the privileges to, there's a flag also that says, this is, uh, you know, PII information. If it is, 
then maybe EDC does not have access to it, so they won't see it, such as like, let's say, email address. But the payment system will be able to access, you know, the email address for that patient, or the drug supply will be able to, add, to access the address of the patient if we're planning to do shipments directly to the, to the patients. And that's where the huge difference we made in this framework. So you get an event, uh, we used actually an open source software called Kafka. So we hosted this at Editec. Uh, the e, e consent, we did it with the company, our friends, uh, Real Time Solutions, uh, uh, Rick Greenfield. And, and then we fired that event, we captured it, and then, um, then uh, um, Meritive, Zelta, uh, Jordan, basically Simpson was uh, listening on the other side. When that event happened, it automatically created the patient in their EDC system, created the demographic form, and created the ICD. It took, this whole thing was almost instantaneous, within a second, all that information flow. The bigger question was, well, how long did it take uh, real-time uh, CTMS to build this and Zelta? It was days literary days and both of them kind of testify to that I, I think after we figure out like the framework it was like less than five days that they were able to put this whole thing together and that's my point there is no excuse for sites for uh, sponsors to say we cannot support this and mainly for vendors to say we cannot support a framework like this we're not talking about months of implementation, we're talking about days in order to put this in place. But the beauty of this, data get informed and fired, and then you reacted to it and immediately became available in another system. And me as a study coordinator now, I don't have to worry about like, oh my God. The same thing could happen in the schedule of events. You know, when e-consent happens, it fires immediately and say the, next, the expected next visit is, you know, screening. Um, and then here's the different pieces. The ECOA, it populates the information related to ECOA. It, it, it and it triggers basically a flag to say, uh, you know, dispense an IoT device um, or connect to the nursing system and let them know there is a patient, etc., that they need to initiate the visit. All that can be orchestrated in a very flexible uh, workflow. I want to answer Jane's question. So um, I think Molik was right. Uh, but if you, I think your answer, can we bypass EDC and go directly to clinical data repository? Why do we need EDC if I get the data from EHR? Absolutely. This model have the flex, full flexibility because it has the metadata also as part of it because it describes what data to expect and securely who can subscribe to it. So if you have the definition of this data, when it comes in, uh, for example, uh, we used the C dash synonyms basically to identify some of the patients to avoid any manual mapping between source and target um, versus, um, you know, you could potentially, if you're not going to use like the C disk or uh, HL7, uh, since it's a JSON file, you can, you can do it manually as well by mapping the fields. So that's how we kind of like diffuse and, uh, and remove the, the, the complexity basically. You know, just listening to you talk about this, first of all, I want to reinforce your call to action. There's no excuse uh, when the friction's been taken out of the system. Like, let's let's rally around the fact that this ha not only 
can be done. It has been done. And, um, and I think that's exciting. Every new step we take towards interoperability and removing friction from the system for all stakeholders is, is pretty significant. Um, and now if Craig was on the line, he would be using his radio voice to say, if you're just joining us on Clubhouse, uh, today we're having a discussion on interoperability with Mantarbara and Malik Shah. And in about five minutes, we'll be opening the floor for questions. So if you have a question, what you're going to do is just uh, you know let us know, raise your hand, and we'll bring you up on stage to ask. Um, there is one question that I will uh, kick us off with as we move into sort of the last five minutes before we open the floor. And it's triggered by something that uh, Anand put in the chat, which is a question about whether this is built on fire um, or, or where fire comes into play here. You know, there was a lot shared at the uh, DTRA meeting uh, about what regulators are doing. And there were some great updates, including on Project Vulcan, et cetera. So, do you want to just talk about any intersects there uh, and, sh and share uh, the answer to whether this is fire-based or not, or a combination? Sure, sure. Um, uh, Malik, did you want to say something before we go? No, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Manta. You're on it. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things that we've done, we did not basically say we're going to introduce a new standard, right? Why reinvent the wheel? At the same time, we didn't want to say you have to use Vulkan only or CDISC or use JSON or this framework. The beauty of what we've done, we give you the full flexibility to utilize any model you like. Um, the demo, we build it based on uh, mapping really between source and target using uh, C- aliases. So in the alias, it basically says, okay, uh, this is the date, uh, the, the, the field basically for the patient number. This is the field for date of birth. This is the field uh, for uh, the version of the protocol uh, when it was published. You know, was there any amendment, etc.? cetera? Uh, it utilizes this and that automatically allows us to do the exchange. So the flexibility here that we provided is we, you don't have to implement a massive complex standards in your organization in order to participate in this ecosystem. All what you have to do is the ability to say, here, I am field X and here's my definition. And we map it to the target source and you're done basically. If you utilize one of the Fire or Vulkan slash Vulkan or CDISC, will enable us to do automatically map those, those fields for you. And, and then as you basically do more and more studies, it becomes just copying the study from uh, one study to another. You don't start always uh, from, from scratch. And as I said earlier, it's a few days, literally in days that it took uh, um, our friends uh, at uh, Real-Time Solutions and uh, Zelta Meritive really to, with Editic to put the whole uh, uh, study together, basically, to move that data that fast uh, within the system. Malik, anything you want to add to that? No, I think Munther described it in very good detail. Thank you. Okay, sure. I just didn't want to didn't want to miss you there. Fair, um, fair. So uh, let me invite anyone who has a question or offer this brilliant team up onto the stage. Um, we certainly I've got one. Oh, hi, James. Sorry, a little loud around me, but I'm, 
kind of curious, since you can bypass EDCs, I'm just asking kind of a crystal ball question. Do you think there's a future where we don't need EDC if we have these standards in place and can make the data flow across systems? And when do you think that might happen? This is crystal ball time. <laughs> good, good question. In our industry, unfortunately, there is almost no, I love to call it, it's the end or the death of ADC as we know it today by introducing this framework. That, that would be my ultimate objective. Um, the problem I think you're going to run into, to be realistic, right? We have oncology studies that run for seven, 10 years. We have submission to do, etc. So EDC is not going to go away, but the current shape could change for the new studies. And as of today, in the SCDM survey that was conducted by sponsors, more than 75% of the data they collect comes through e-source uh, basically or comes like digitally comes through the system so to me that's becoming more and more real basically to potentially remove that friction but it's a paradigm shift because you got to think about our friends when they do the submissions in the other side of the house they utilize the crf as the mapping um, software so we're gonna need somehow to convince them that they don't need the crf anymore in order to map source to target, in order to produce the data that's ready for submission there. But I think we're getting closer and closer to, to this task, especially if we start to be able to move data and show real examples that we can move data in real-time basis and be able to empower end users to proactively make decisions and orchestrate different workflows. Like I saw you coming off. I'm not sure if you wanted to, to add something. Yeah, there. I just wanted to say the adaption. I, I agree with Mantha, right? I, it's going to be an evolution, not a transformation when it comes to, uh, you know, what is the life of EDC or future of EDC look like? Uh, there, as you see, many of us are already starting to use e-source. Um, also, you know, there's a lot of talk around, you know, STDM ready data directly from the source systems as well. So I think there's, there's a lot of, lot of moving parts there. Certainly, like Mantar said, there are some rare disease, you know, um, oncology trials that are more complex that may still need a form of EDC, but certainly they will coexist for some time. Yeah, certainly not one size fits all, but as, as Jane mentioned in the, the comments, I mean, this would change the use of real world data immensely, but really cool to start to imagine a future where we have more options on the table all around and more opportunity to unlock value from data. We are at the top of the hour. And if you have questions for Mantha or Malik, we'd love uh, you to raise your hand and we'll pull you up on stage so you can be part of the conversation. Um, I am uh, you know, personally very interested in what this might be doing to unlock the way that data consumers and producers work together. You know, that, that was something that, you know, certainly from inside a sponsor organization was, was always a hot topic, the data producer consumer um, sort of interplay. And I'm, I'm wondering if either of you have thoughts about how the landscape is changing um, in, in our sites and our sponsor uh, environment when it comes to the interplay between consumers and producers here. 
I think this is a huge, right? Uh, if you think about it, um, when COVID hit, a lot of our sites had to upgrade their technology in order to enable virtual visits to take place. And that introduced complexity uh, for the sponsors and probably tensions between sponsor, uh, sponsors and sites. Because the site is gonna, the sponsor is gonna come in and say, you need to use one, two, three, four, five of this technology. And the site is like, why? I'm already have the system. Um, it is uh, it is part eleven compliant, and it has all the bells and whistles that you typically look for. Why do I have to use your system? And now with this, uh, consumers, you know, publishers and publishing data and consuming the data, we would potentially enable. Uh, the sites, if they are, you know, if they meet, you know, the site initiation and um, from Part 11 compliance and what have you, to be able to exchange data with the sponsor's system. So there is no reason to transcribe that data basically again from one system to another. So I think the benefits is huge. The study coordinator is going to love this. I remember in one of the meetings with the DTRA, one of the study coordinators said, I'm paraphrasing here. Every time a sponsor adds a technology, it fractures the relationship between the sponsor and the site. And this is the beast we're trying to remove really from the equation to, to, for the site to welcome these technologies as, as well as, uh, as far as it's been thought about. And I think one of the nice thing, uh, and a shout out to Jane and Michelle uh, uh, yesterday in the call, the change management system is going to be uh, uh, is going to be critical as we introduce these new systems. How it works, what's the implication to the site? We need to do a better job at it, not just to throw another technology at the site or at the patient at, at this point of this. Let me stop here. See. So, at the risk of putting someone on the spot, I was going to ask Todd, who I see here in the audience if he has any thoughts on how this will help as we write digital protocols that is actually use digital format in protocol writing and and how that might actually play into data interoperability todd if you have anything to add just please raise your hand and we'll pull you up Hey, Todd, welcome. Um, uh, you know, Todd and I uh, worked at the Translate when I was at Pfizer, basically, and uh, in the DDF project. So, hey, Todd. Hi, hi Mathur. It was nice to see your name uh, come up a couple of times, and thanks for inviting me on stage. Um, I mean, I guess I'm kind of on the record for the advantages of a digital protocol. And I think what the opportunity looks like is really sort of the opportunity both to digitize, uh, sorry, to, to specify the protocol design and all of the assessments and all those other, all of the measures that we're proposing to collect during a protocol, during, during a clinical trial execution as early in the life cycle of the protocol as possible. So if you can sort of create a digital protocol specification uh, from the start and know that those assessment elements are already connected to all of the different data specifications and data standards and collection forms and all the other things that we've been alluding to, then it sort of sets you ahead of the curve a little bit. Um, 
the alternative in the state of the art, of course, is that, you know, we create our protocols uh, in a document format in a Microsoft Word or a PDF document, and then leave it to smart people like Munther and Malik to have to transcribe all of that sort of text uh, specification into the digital piece as well. So to me, the opportunity is one to not only to be able to create that project specification in a digital format to begin with, but also if all of those component parts of that protocol already exist in digital formats, then we can also connect to those um, structured concepts, if you will, whether it's an assessment or an eligibility criterion or what have you, we can already connect that to some of the data collection specifications and have those kind of ready to go to save that time-consuming manual error-prone work later in the life cycle. I'll stop there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, Im imagine a world, right? If we can take that digital protocol, uh, let's say it was set up uh, digitally and then automatically populate the schedule of activities, uh, create the different data providers uh, that will be basically uh, providing the different data from different sources and then enable uh, the the mode to have different way of providing data from one site to another i think the major problem right now we do one size fits all with this model says you know site x um, they can provide the data they don't have they don't have the capabilities they'll use the sponsor system uh, site y they have their own capabilities they'll exchange the data but the beauty with the digitization and i think you said it right if we do things up in the front before the study starts, really the collection, um, but that's not gonna, ha it's not gonna never happen, right? So what you need to do is create um, an easy system that enable us to read historical data into the new digital um, protocol, enable the, the 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 design to be in place, approve it, and then uh, propagate all these different data sources to the different systems automatically so that we can immediately take advantage advantage of this. And this seems like um, huge, but I don't think so. I, I really think we're very close. It's like the way we did it with uh, at, at the DTRA conference, we showed how easy it was. And I think we're very close to, ach to achieving this. I know Todd, you went off mute, go ahead. Yeah, just an additional follow-up comment because as, as I, sort of consider the things that you're talking about, um, Munther and Malik, and I, the, this, the conversation that we've just had. I mean, at, from one perspective, this is kind of like the secret sauce, but on the other perspective, it's almost like the oxygen that the, that the ecosystem needs in order to enable this um, long talked about sort of integration of research and care, clinical research and care, you know, um, it's kind of making sure that both the interconnectivity and the, fa the the data fabric is there to be able to support the movement of the information, but also to make sure that the fundamental resources in terms of those, you know, pre-specified and pre-elaborated uh, uh, structured con 
constructs around like the assessments we're planning on doing, the data we're planning on collecting and making sure that they're sort of pre-prepared and pre-packaged and we know what to do when, you know, the protocol specifies that we're going to be, you know, carrying forward a particular uh, assessment result and that's going to become the fun, the the basis of a primary efficacy analysis later on, if we have all of that data collection pre-specified sort of as far upstream as possible, it kind of en enables us to integrate the the research into the, the, the care environment as well, eventually. That is such an exciting future <laughs> that you just laid out. And even, you know, the thing that gets me really excited about this topic is the feedback loop that we also have from the moment we digitize a protocol. Um, now, any future protocol that is built, um, you know, all the data that's collected along the way, that can be fed back in and, you know, a virtuous cycle of improvement um, as we go along. And I noticed that Jane had a, a really good um, comment sort of along similar lines. She said, I'm going on a tangent, but how does this interoperability support the use of the reuse of data uh, e.g. using previously collected data as the control group in a trial rather than recruiting new patients. She says maybe this is not connected. I, I say it's connected. <laughs> what, what say you, Mother Molly, Todd? You know, I mean, listen, the, um, once we try to simplify our life, uh, the limits is the sky, in honesty. There is no reason. I think your major issue is do you have the flexible model? Um, for example, we at Editic build a whole flexible model uh, that has a metadata repository that enables you to capture the data about the data, which in turn enables you to store all this historical data and then to be able to reuse it. Uh, so what you just spoke about, uh, can I create uh, an ARM basically based on the existing data Absolutely. It's really, if you have that in place and that flexible uh, model in place, um, it is a matter of basically extracting the appropriate data for the patients that who could potentially participate. And then you create your word, uh, your real, uh, 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 RD, sorry, I can't think of the acronym, real word. Uh, real world uh, data. Yeah. Thank you. Real world data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, and and execute your your study uh, there there is a lot a lot of possibilities that it opens up but the question is planning need to be in place proactive the data need to be in in one place i think a lot of companies suffer from finding their data and not relying on heroic efforts by individuals and be able to delegate that to systems in order to achieve something something like this yeah. If I may add, I mean, I will say something unpopular here, right? I mean, data connectivity, I mean, in all, we're all excited about it, but I mean, it's not something novel. This is something that's been used across many industries for many years, right? I think one of the challenges we have is this barrier for adoption. I think we talked about the change management piece. I think that's going to be the key piece here, right? In order to, I mean, even to leverage the data that you talked about, Jane, around control arm, the data exists. It's the it's our ability to use it and leverage it in a way, right? Of course, uh, data connectivity will take away one of the reasons for not being able to do it, but that is not the only reason, right? So I think I really call for action would be for us to 
kind of move ahead and you know kind of take remove those barriers in order to adapt this tech, already available technologies and new technologies are coming up I, I, I agree agree that's you know i mean it it seems like it's a scary piece that just because of the legacy systems that we've used when if you look all around us that's that's the norm right now and i think without it nothing would happen i want to add just one more example something just came in my mind um if you think about blockchain when we introduced blockchain it was an important thing from patient privacy and securing the data and be able to securely exchange the data. But it was not something easy that the CEO or CIO can touch, right? It's difficult. It, the premise was, was really great, right? But now look at ChatGBT. Almost every CEO and CIO and every person you know already worked with ChatGBT. And why is that happening? If you think about the amount of data that they aggregated in order to achieve their model and what have you. It's, it's that frictionless user experience that led to that. It, it doesn't, take, doesn't take much, you know, you just either have a free membership or a paid membership, you ask your questions and immediately you're productive uh, based on Gardner, five to 20% uh, uh, you, uh, you achieve in terms of productivity using the tool. And that's the piece around interoperability. Uh, the amount that people, if, if you really start calculating this uh, and, and putting, um, if you do this correctly from up in the front and really enforce it within your organization and basically require your vendors to support it, um, the proactivity and the number of patients that you're not going to lose um as a result of not collecting the correct data in the front or knowing like certain problems that happen or basically telling the patient that they need to uh to use an apro or any misleading information or the study coordinator not focusing on the science you remove all that friction up in the front that's a huge that's patient retention that's site relationship you're fixing two problems right there up in the front basically of course, it's going to require a good protocol design in order for that to happen as well. And a leadership mandate, right? I mean, um, unfortunately, sort of what you're pointing out and what Malika also pointed out is this isn't rocket science. This this has been happening in other areas. And often we uh, trickle a little bit behind in, in life science and healthcare as far as adopting the standard. But but we do have a mandate at this point, right, um, for patients uh, to, to embrace this more frictionless environment. Um, if you're just joining us uh, a little late in the conversation, we've had a fascinating discussion on um, interop interoperability uh, with Mantarbara and Malik Shah and our friend Cha Georgiev as well. Um, and I will um, chirp a, a next question over to you, maybe Malik, if you want to start here. What signals do you see that we're getting to a better interoperability reality? Um, you know, what's the results and proof uh, out here now? Yeah, thank you, uh, Angela, for asking that question, right? I think Jane would really thank me for this, but we have a DTRA initiative where we're actually measuring, how do we measure the true benefit of this uh, DT, uh, DCT, right? Uh, 
So as part of that initiative, one of my colleagues, uh, you know, uh, Caroline Redeker, she had been working on this one, right? So they basically the goal of this initiative is we've been talking about this potential hype cycle around DCT and how it's really valuable and critical and needs and truly, you know, improves patient access. But how effective is it? Is And can we measure the true value of this one, right? And interoperability, I see that is, is a small part of that overall DCT element. So I think... Yes, we are seeing that benefit. There's been some studies that have already demonstrated, right? And we all, I think all of us are working on at least are engaged with or heard of or know of at least one study that is going completely decentralized and the data connectivity is actually a huge element of making that possible. So to the point, I would say, you know, I think we need to start sharing more information about the success that we had leveraging this. Every month are highlighted. All of us are collecting more and more data, not only in clinical trial, but every day. And that data doesn't bring any value without the interoperability. So there's, those are the things that I think we need to just start communicating more, sharing more as uh, within the industry to kind of get more adoption. So um, Malik, thank you for that. And I don't know the data, but to your point, everyone is looking for impact information. I know there was an abstract submitted to ASCO this week, specifically categorizing which DCT elements were used as part of submissions that led to an approval in oncology. And I think that it's publications like those that will help the, we'll call them the operators and stakeholders the value of using these methods. I don't know if it's gonna address data connectivity directly, but that's sort of like the baseline framework you need to be operating in for all the other bits to work well. So maybe we'll see that in early June. I'm gonna go on mute again. Thanks, Jane. So if you, if you had a hard time um, making out some of what Jane said through that um, background noise on the beautiful ferry ride. She's on between countries right now. Um, there was an ASCO abstract uh, submitted and, and it's true. We are all looking for sort of results and proof right now. Good, good examples. Um, I will, uh, you know, I think make this sort of our, our second to last question. Although I'd love to invite anyone who has questions for our panelists up to join us on the stage. Um, but, but the next question I'd like to ask is really around global applicability. So, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, there still are a lot of solutions that when it comes to data um, that certainly came across my desk uh, at BMS and elsewhere that had some really great ideas in mind for fair data, for interoperability, um, for data connectivity, and yet didn't seem to work in a scalable manner outside of the U.S. either, um, you know, for as Jane pointed out in the in the comments, you know, issues related to things like GDPR or just the different way that different data works in different countries. And so I'm just wondering if you can, uh, I guess, uh, allay any fears folks have about the fact that interoperability is absolutely a global issue and is absolutely something that we are solving for, that this isn't we're not just talking about data for our U.S. sites here, uh, right, Munther? Right, Malik? Co correct. Actually, so funny. Yesterday's session was awesome uh, with Michelle. Um, uh, she talked about change management, and part of that, the fear factor, was one of her indicators, basically, there. 
And I thought it was, that was unbelievable. In my mind, when you implement a system, what's the fear factor, right? Um, why people will be concerned, you know, about interoperability because they're afraid, you know, somehow you're going to exchange the wrong data and data is going to leak and then like, oh my God, you know, the privacy, the patients, GDPR in Europe, uh, different countries, regulations. Um, the beauty what we've done here um, is the solution is global. There's nothing specific about the United States. This is utilizes uh, standard technologies and standard uh, data exchange frameworks that's used uh, across the board. Think about like China, for example. They use WeChat. WeChat utilizes a standard technology of authentication that basically saying, I have a username and password and I'm in the system uh, the, sa the same way and then I'm able to move data from one system to another. Europe the same way, um, you know, with the AI advancement and all of that, people are, uh, as long as we respect the framework and we added actually a specific part of this about PII information and how we can secure it uh, and to make sure it doesn't get in the wrong hands, etc. I, I, there's nothing that says this is U.S. specific, basically, in, in, this, in this model. And um, just one more thing, just so you guys know, um, uh, we will probably have the video published uh, for the demo we did, and we're hoping uh, soon we'll publish a white paper that describes the whole model and how this operates. And I want to say this, hopefully, Todd, you'll see this complement the DDF work that you guys are doing. It's not a duplication of effort, basically. I just want to enforce that. Thank you so much. All right, so I'm going to close us out with a lightning round question. Uh, Jane asked the crystal ball question, but I'm going to ask the magic wand question. So if you had a magic wand, right now and could do anything to advance uh, the cause we're all on here for interoperability. What would you like to see change? What would you like to see different? Or what would you like to see magically happen? And this could be anything, right, from that topic of change management all the way to something you'd like to see in sort of the, the technical, uh, you know, infrastructure landscape. And, you know, I, I will take a, a quiet breath um, and let you ponder that for a second and whoever is brave enough to come off mute and tell us what your magic wand is i'll hear it i'll start uh my my ask is very simple for sponsors when you work with technology partners your first question should be interoperability do you have the ability to exchange data do you have the ability to send information security if you don't, then you should not select them. Uh, the new ecosystem uh, is going to work based on orchestration, flexibility, and the ability to move data around in order for us to move this faster. At the, and and I, I think this is key to the success of the next steps because the new business model that we're introducing with AI, uh, I mean, I think in the next uh, three years, uh, the business model for clinical trials is going to change big time uh, with all the different AI models that we're currently working on uh, and th this whole open uh, openness basically to work with multiple models securely, etc. 
uh, without interoperability, it's going to limit us. It's going to limit the speed of, uh, of acting and taking actions. Uh, so that's that's a that that's a must, and it should have high score whether you use that that vendor or not. Uh, and 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 it, it has to be at the at the heart of this. I'll I'll stop there. I would say three things. One, I would say simplify the complex. I think we have we as an industry already have a lot of complex things. There's everything could be simply done. So I think simplify the complex. Second, I would say don't be afraid of using new technology. I think go with go with caution for sure, but go with an opportunity mindset rather than a threat mindset, right? That's another, I think a lot of the challenges, a lot of barrier for adoption is that. Um, and second, just be self-aware. I think we're, we feel like we're unique in many things, but we're not. So I think that those three, I would say at a very high level, sorry, very philosophical, but I truly believe those will truly get us to the, you know, to adoption and taking this calculated risk and opportunities much, much faster. I love those. I'll add mine before passing it over to you, Paige, to make any closeout uh, comments that we need to make here. Um, and that is, I sure would love everyone to be literate in the concept of fair data and understand the importance here, because certainly as we approach this new uh, AI era, we certainly need to understand the power of the data that we're putting into the system. So I would love everybody to know what that FAIR or FLAIR acronym means and know how to use it in their real worlds. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Munther and Malik. Paige, I'll pass it over to you. Thank you so much, Ange, Munther, Malik. Thank you for your time, for sharing with our audience. We look forward to pushing this out to our podcast on Monday for those who were not able to join us live. Uh, we'll be back next week and the following with two, I think two more weeks uh, with guest speakers. Um, I believe Care Access will be joining us next week. And then um, we will round out the year on the 22nd with a good old year end wrap up with our hosts and look forward to 2024. So um, if Jane can pipe in, if I've missed anything, otherwise, um, thank you. And we will look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thank you for the opportunity, uh, Paige and team. Uh, really enjoyed it. And Todd, nice talking with you as well. So, Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. Todd, very nice to meet you and look forward to collaborating with you, learning from you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks bye to bye. all of you for being here today and uh, putting up with all the things around me. <laughs> <laughs> all good. Safe travels, Jane. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you, Angela, for hosting our modern. Oh, yes. Yes, Angela. Good questions. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.